0: Hello and welcome back to the Simplicity Parenting Diary with me, Kim John Payne. This is the fourth and last part in our series on uh, on sleep and helping children prepare for sleep and and sleeping itself. Today we're uh, going to be looking at the the question of information overwhelm and how we can quieten and and. and And soothe really the 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 kinds and amount of information a child uh, has to synthesize uh, before they can actually fall asleep this is not at all an easy question because we're living in a time where our kids are just being deluged with the amount of information that they are receiving and so what do we do about that? Because if they're laying in bed at night, and there's there's all these just a uh, 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 myriad competing images, uh, uh, undigested information that they've had to absorb through the day, it makes sleep very, very difficult indeed. Because that that kind of um, digestion that that we've been talking about. Is is really tough when they're having to having to go through so much. There's 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 um, some children have described this as lots of my words now, but fragmented, competing images, uh, and we know that feeling ourselves, right, as adults, if we've had a day where we've had just a ton of information and stuff come at us. It's almost like um, we're having, uh, when we lay down at night, it's still just on this loop. And it's almost like flashbacks, you know, you're having that conversation replay itself and that piece of information replay itself. And oh my goodness, did I do that? You know, do I have to get up? And there's all this kind of uh, um, information overwhelm that we know for ourselves but imagine what that's like for a child, right Many of us have forgotten that because it was a long time ago, but for a child that is is doubly more um, difficult because you know they've got this bedtime thing for us we just can if we can just get up, turn the light on, read a book, walk around the house go back, just deal with that email, write it, you know we've got the freedom to do all that kind of stuff, which is sometimes not ideal actually that we do that, so we're told by the sleep experts, but nevertheless, we're not pinned to the bed uh now now, children are that's their that they're told it's bedtime, and if we're going to tell children it's bedtime you go to bed you stay in bed you go to sleep it's only fair that we give them a chance of being able to do that and a part of that if we if we back this up again a lot of that is is about their day we all know the the, the mounting evidence uh, now uh, from very reliable uh, peer-reviewed studies that um, any kind of blue light, any kind of screen, uh, an hour or two, and now some people are saying three or four hours, but that kind of blue light exposure of tablets, Computers, screens and televisions are included in that too uh, in many of the research pieces is very disruptive to a child's uh, uh, biorhythms and a child being able to actually go into that that sort of deeper sleep, fall fall to sleep but also go into sleep. So a a very obvious one that many of us are on to is is no screens, no screens any time after dinner. Um, even if we do have screens before dinner, try to to really dial it back. Now for teenagers, this becomes a point of negotiation that they do uh, their screen based homework, which unfortunately more and more schools are, are making homework and schoolwork really linked to screens, and I. I um Often, when I get a chance in a high school actually um uh, beg the point that uh by setting homework and hours of it that is screen based that take a child way into the evening means that the that that um unwittingly what high school educators are doing is becoming a part of the problem in the sense that the the teenager now is becoming uh, sleep-deprived, therefore uh, the cognitive abilities are becoming increasingly impaired and just at a time when a teacher is uh, uh, expecting a teenager to be absorbing a lot of content, they're actually, by asking kids to be on computer screens into the evening it's actually uh, um, cutting right across the the bow in in other words um, undoing their own intent and so some high school teachers have been willing to say to students front load all your screen time get your information all set out print it out make notes of it and get that screen turned off by 7pm or um, whatever time seems reasonable to them. But if a stu- if, a- if they're expecting their student to be able to uh, refresh in sleep and wake up with frontal lobe activity, o- activity, neocortex, all the things needed for an active day of learning, then they also need to back things up so that teenagers are getting off screens and get help to actually plan uh, front-loading their, their time so that the screen can then be closed and uh, done away with for the evening. And that's something that some high school educators have been willing to listen to and hear and um, and, and and go along with. If a high school educator doesn't, then we as parents can and we can teach our kids to front load screen time and and print out make notes we can do that too but how much better is it if the um if the school are cooperating with us that's that's you know great if that can happen and it's worth speaking if you've got older kids who or even now younger kids unfortunately who are being set screen based homework to speak with the school and really uh make this case uh, you might, might even want to circulate some of the research into this because it's very conclusive now and, and well known. This is not in any way controversial. And be able to uh, join with educators to actually have screen free evenings at the very least. You know, uh, the latter part of an evening must, in my opinion, be screen free for every child and every teen. And we can get together on that one and uh, cooperate and and uh, and be strong in that way. Now, other aspects of information is to really be careful about what we're talking about in the afternoons and evenings, especially in at, at meal times, after meal times, so that our conversation is not overwhelming a child that we we actually allow conversation to just quieten down a little bit in other words what perhaps if you're in a two-parent home wait until the children are in bed to start those uh conversations about your day and things that that you've got to to do for tomorrow and just let the home become a, a low conversation zone as a child is preparing for bedtime because even though you're not talking at times to them they are absorbing just the level of conversation that is going on around the house just start to if you can quieten that on down of course radios and televisions if even if they if they are on sometimes again if i may say must go off kids cannot be hearing all this kind of information trying to digest it meanwhile we're telling them to go to sleep it's just you know you know it's just not quite fair on, on a child if we if we're setting them up like that as well you can have um, alternate information that is really helpful for a child now what i mean by alternate information is something that i learned from a mum and a dad oh gosh oh it goes way back now uh perhaps a decade or more what they did which i thought was really um so helpful is that they had a child who wasn't sleeping so uh what they would uh, do in order just to help the child go up to bed because the child was refusing uh, or pushing back hard even going you know upstairs bathroom bedtime and all that because it represented to him um difficulties he couldn't sleep and so on so that so they couldn't even get that moving along and what they did was uh read a little bit of the first part of a chapter of a story so uh, before supper, they would back this on up, and they would read the first little part, maybe only fifteen minutes or so, not long, but they would read a little part, tell the part of that story. then, at supper time and clear up from supper, they would be chatting about the story that would come up amongst other subjects, but that would come up about about the adventure that that boy or girl was having in the in the story, and they'd be looking forward to hearing. Uh, what what it was, how that was going to go, knowing full well that that story would come when the child was in bed. Do, do you see? So you're doing two things here. You're setting up a slipstream of the child literally wanting to get into bed. Okay, so they'll, you'll you know head them off in that direction, but also you're creating alternative information which is not about the world. It's not about all this other stuff. It's actually about um, a picture that's appropriate for childhood. And I thought this was a really interesting uh, strategy from these parents and asked them how it went. And they said that it worked a treat because it had the child and them connecting up over the story uh, and it, and it, as I mentioned, would actually have the, have have the their, their, their child go to bed. but for me, part of the key to that was that they were creating an alternate picture as i mentioned this this other other inner um, image that a child was carrying. And that is a general point for me, for at least um, 60 to 90 minutes before a child is being asked to sleep, as much information, I want to say all information, but as much information as possible should be child-friendly. Now, obviously it should be child-friendly all through the day, but... Our conversation starts to quieten down. That's one thing. And then the things that we say are, are, are going to be soothing to a child, are going to um, help that child be able to, yes, decompress again and not be new information. You don't want to be talking to a child a lot in the evening. A little bit is fine. Um, but you don't want to be talking to the child a lot about what's coming up next week and this is happening here and that happened there and this is what now a little bit of that is actually very helpful just a little bit of looking forward uh to the next day but a lot of fragmented conversation about a brother's sports events about um a a sister what she's doing with her friends after school and that kind of that kind of conversation within reason just needs to to quieten down when i've mentioned that to some families and asked them just to keep an eye on that just you know like have a normal day (laughs) and normal evening and then just watch what is being discussed uh parents have come back and said to me goodness that was quite surprising we were still on a roll we were really talking about this and that and it was all like super noisy and busy and fragmented types of conversation and we were then shushing the child up the uh, uh, up the stairs and getting him into bed and um really didn't real didn't didn't realize how um how much Uh, information how active and animated all that was i'm not suggesting that we go into this sort of trance-like state in the evening you know family life has to go on but if we can be a little more careful to have less conversation and the conversation be very consciously child-friendly pictorial just the little things that we that we uh, say around a child in the evening, again running through that filter of is this going to help my child relax and move into sleep? Then we're giving we're, we're giving the child a real chance to be able to to decompress, as we've talked about, but also um, be able to limit the amount of of information that they're having to um, synthesize and try and pull together because that's what a child will do, right? That's their natural instinct. There'll be this and that and this and that conversation, sure enough. But a natural human instinct, particularly in, in childhood, is to try and thread the, all that stuff together. And as much as possible, if we can do that, it's a good thing. Now, finally, I I mentioned in an earlier uh, session that we, um, at at the evening, my family used to do this rose and thorn ceremony. Now, a little part of this is looking forward. Uh, but it's done pictorially and just to uh remind us again what it it's about is what is sitting with a child in the evening and, and or 2 or 3 and saying you know and this could happen at bedtime or it could happen um at supper time but what was something that was really good that happened today? Now, not every child is going to always, every night, have something to say. But what was what was a rose? What happened today which was really nice? What was something that was awkward today that we didn't like? And just allow a child to unpack the day a little bit. Just let them review, let them unpack. And we can do the same too, but about our family life, not about stuff that has got nothing to do with kids. And then what is something that is potentially difficult tomorrow? And then finally, what is something that we're looking forward to? As much as possible if we can do this briefly and pictorially. So, for example, uh, uh, we might say to a child, yeah, that's right, It's um, you're going to be picked up by Joshy's dad tomorrow. And um, that's really hard because... Uh, you know it's it's you you have to go to Joshua's uh, house and sometimes that's been no fun oh uh, I, I know that's right and he'll be that's right he'll be in that red pickup mm-hmm. and you just create a little bit of a picture of it and then and then move on you know, move on and what's a good thing about tomorrow that allows a child both to um, review the day very briefly preview all within I mean really this shouldn't take more than 10, 15, 20 seconds a child might prattle on a little bit longer and that's fine too at times but this is not a big space for filling words and more information it's just setting things quietly to rights synthesizing all the information and letting it rest so I sure hope that's been helpful again. uh, Very best wishes for tonight's bedtime. Okay. Bye-bye for now.